This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 64, July 19, 2009. Because I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and I'm screwed. We're all down, Neil. We're going to get through this. How are any of us going to get through this? Did you hear what I just said? We can't even get fired! Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into a special edition of The Transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. My name is Jen. And I'm Ryan. And yes, we're back. We missed you guys. And it's been a nice, long, relaxing hiatus. But we got to get back to work here. So yes, this is a special edition of our podcast where we're going to take a look back at Season 5 and, more importantly, perhaps take a look ahead to the San Diego Comic-Con. We first would like to offer our heartiest congratulations to the cast and crew of Lost for being recognized in the latest round of nominations for Emmy Awards. Absolutely. Most Notably, Lost was only one of two network shows nominated for Outstanding Drama Series. And it's about time. Also, the episode, the finale, The Incident, was actually recipient of several nominees. One under Outstanding Single Camera Picture Editing for a Drama Series. Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Comedy or Drama Series. And finally, Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series. And best of all, Michael Emerson got a long overdue and very well-deserved Emmy nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a drama series finally definitely deserved and well overdue and uh, i should also mention that abc's dharma initiative i guess that was their online game that started with the booth at comic-con but didn't yeah. quite get finished it still got uh, an emmy nomination for outstanding creative achievement in interactive media for fiction we'd also like to thank anna in indiana and her co-host denise from the jacob's right. cabin podcast for allowing us to participate in her special what lost means to me podcast you can find the link to listen to that that podcast on her website anna in indiana.wordpress.com good for you anna one-time caller here at the transmission just like i believe heath and we also want to thank heath and miss wendy for including us in their lost ramble on podcast and it was a special podcaster edition of that fantastic show so we were very honored to be included with a number of the cool kids and of course that includes anna and denise but as well uh, donald from donald is lost mr bill from behind the cutting edge nancy drew from lostaholics Axel Foley from the Lost Mythos Theory Cast. Matt from Keys to Lost. Matt and Steve from the Smoke Hatch. And of course, our friend Karen from the ODI Podcast. And you can find a link to that epic show and a number of other shows because they're doing the Lost Rewatch right now at heathsworld.wordpress.com. All right. Well, that's it for the kudos and the thanks. What are we going to do here on the show? We will attempt to recap season five in eight minutes or less. Oh, yes. And then we're going to share our thoughts very briefly on the most recent season. We'll hear your take in you all, everybody. And in the forward cabin, we'll cover our plans for Comic-Con, which is just a few hours away. Woo-hoo-hoo, we can't wait. So, you ready? Let's get lost. (laughs) 
Alrighty, well, eight minutes is impossible, but I think we can bring down season five into a reasonable size. Yeah. And, you know, it, it did jump around, so let's see if we can unscramble it. Now, season five opened with a brief glimpse of the Dharma Initiative in the 70s. We saw Dr. Candle waking up with his wife and baby. He tries to shoot an orientation film, but he bumps into Daniel Faraday at the Orchid construction site where he says they might be able to manipulate time. And season five ends with a glimpse of a larger battle between Jacob and his unnamed nemesis over what people do when they're brought to the island. Jacob believes in humanity, but his nemesis says people will always destroy themselves, and his nemesis swears he will find a loophole and kill Jacob. So with those two bookends, we'll start our tale in the present, where Ben and Jack begin plotting how to get everyone back to the island. Kate is visited and told that someone is seeking custody of Aaron. Saeed and Hurley go on the run after killing the men who tried to ambush them, and Son tells Whitmore that they both want to kill Benjamin Linus. Hurley takes an injured Saeed to his dad, who takes him in turn to Jack. Ben tries to get Hurley to come with him, but Hurley surrenders to the cops instead. Jack goes to Kate, and they tail a man to a motel, and they spot Claire's mother, Carol, but it turns out she's not after Aaron. In fact, she doesn't even know about him. Meanwhile, Desmond goes to Oxford, but only finds Faraday's old lab. He finds his way over to Teresa Spencer's house and finds her sister there, and she tells him that Daniel abandoned her and that Mr. Widmore took responsibility. So, Desmond goes to Mr. Widmore and gets Daniel's mother's address in Los Angeles, and Penny and their son, Charlie, sail off with him. Kate, Jack, Ben, and Saeed meet up at a pier. Kate and Saeed storm off. Sun shows up and pulls a gun on Ben. Ben says that Jin is alive, and he talks her into going to see Mrs. Hawking. When they get to a church, Ben gives Sun Jin's ring, and Desmond shows up. They all go inside to see her. Mrs. Hawking takes Jack, Ben, and friends down to the lamp post and says they have 36 hours to get back. Desmond storms off, and Mrs. Hawking tells Jack that Locke has to be a proxy for his father. That night, after giving Aaron to Carol, Kate comes to Jack and says that she's going to go with him. Ben tries to kill Penny, but after shooting Desmond, he's beaten and thrown into the water. He calls Jack and tells him that he has to get Locke's body. Jack puts his dad's shoes on Locke's feet and checks him in for Ajira Airlines Flight 316. He and Kate realize that Sun, Hurley, and Saeed are all on the same plane, as well as Ben. The plane takes off, and lo and behold, they realize that Frank is the pilot. Frank comes out and sees everyone else on the plane, and he realizes that they're not going to Guam. They hit turbulence. There's a flash, and eventually Frank crash lands the plane on Alcatraz Island, but they realize that Jack, Kate, Hurley, and Saeed are gone. Sun follows Ben. Frank follows Sun. Ben says he's going to the main island. Sun knocks him out, and she and Frank take a canoe over to Dharmaville. There they meet Christian Shepard, who shows them a photo of Jack, Hurley, and Kate in the Dharma Initiative in 1977. Meanwhile, Ilana tells Caesar that they found a man that wasn't on the plane, and it's John Locke. Locke says that he died and says that Ben is the man who killed him. Ben tells Locke that he came back to be judged, and Locke says, hey, I'm going to help you do that. Ben shoots Caesar and they take a canoe to Dharmaville as well. They find Sun and Lapidus who are surprised to see Locke alive. Ben goes to the temple. The smoke monster emerges but lets him live. A final vision 
suggestion of Alex tells them to listen to Locke. Locke then leads them to Richard and the others and says they have an errand to run before going to see Jacob. Locke has Richard deliver his message to time-jumping Locke and then tells all the others that it's time to go and meet Jacob. They trek across the island and Locke tells Ben that he wants to kill Jacob. In fact, he says Ben will kill Jacob. Locke points out that Ben gave everything for Jacob and he received nothing but pain and loss. Meanwhile, on Alcatraz, Lapidus fails the shadow of the statue test and is tied up by Ilana and friends. They row over to the main island with a big box. They go to Jacob's cabin and find nobody there. Someone else has been using it, so they make their way to the foot of the statue. Of course, Locke and the others are already there, and Locke brings Ben with him to see Jacob, despite Richard's protestations. They go inside just as Ilana and friends arrive. They show Richard what's in the box— it's Locke. Meanwhile, in Jacob's lair, Ben stabs Jacob, but Jacob's dying words to the fake Locke are, they're coming. In the past, back on the island, Faraday tells Sawyer, Juliet, Rose, and Bernard that they've been dislodged in time. Their camp and the hatch are missing, but they flash and the hatch reappears. Faraday draws Desmond out and tells him to find his mother. Desmond wakes up in the future and remembers Faraday's message. Locke is also on the island, but in a different time. He sees a Nigerian drug plane crash. He flashes. He gets shot by Ethan. He gets flashed again and is patched up by Albert, who tells him that he has to bring everyone back and that he has to die in the process. Sawyer and Juliet are captured by people in old army uniforms, but Locke rescues them. Meanwhile, Daniel, Charlotte, and Miles are ambushed and taken to an army camp led by Richard Alpert. Daniel tells them that they're scientists looking for the bomb, and though a young Charles Whitmore doesn't believe him, a young Eloise Hawking takes Daniel to see Jughead. Daniel tells her that they're from the future. Meanwhile, Locke walks into the camp and tells Alpert the same thing. Suddenly, though, our losties vanish in a flash. The flashes are causing bloody noses and headaches, and Charlotte is in seriously bad shape. Locke says they can stop the flashes at the orchid. Meanwhile, we learn that Jin is alive, washing ashore with a young Danielle Rousseau and crew. Montan loses his arm. Danielle goes nuts, but Jin flashes just in time and is reunited with everyone. So, Charlotte collapses, and Daniel stays with her as everyone else goes to the orchid. Before she dies, Charlotte tells Daniel that she grew up on the island and remembers seeing him. Locke climbs down the well as there's another flash and meets Christian Shepherd down below. He turns the wheel for one last flash. Sawyer, Juliet, Jin, and Miles go back to Daniel and find Charlotte's body is gone. They stumble across a picnic gone bad, kill two others, and end up captured by the Dharma Initiative. But Sawyer helps them maintain a truce with Alpert and the others and is allowed to stay for two weeks. So, three years later, Sawyer is the head of security, Miles and Jin work with him, Juliet is a mechanic, and uh, Daniel is nowhere to be seen. Sawyer and Juliet are a happy couple, but soon enough, Jin calls Hurley, Jack, and Kate are now with them in 1977. Sawyer and Juliet bring them in as new recruits. Jack becomes a janitor. Kate's also a mechanic and Hurley's a cook. But at the flame, Jin and Radzinski find Saeed and bring him in as an other. Sawyer tells Jack he's got a plan and to chill out. Saeed, meanwhile, meets young Ben. Saeed refuses to go along with Sawyer's plan and Radzinski leads a vote to kill him. Sawyer tries to help him escape but Saeed says he has a plan and a purpose now. Sure enough, young Ben creates a diversion and helps Saeed escape. 
but Saeed shoots him. Jen finds Ben and brings him back to Dharmaville. Juliet can't save him and Jack refuses to help. Juliet says Kate should take Ben to the others and Sawyer joins her. Alpert tells them Ben won't remember anything and won't ever be the same and takes him to the temple. Daniel, meanwhile, returns from Ann Arbor and he goes to Dr. Chang and tells him to evacuate the island before a catastrophic accident at the Swan. Daniel then goes to Jack and Jack and Kate agree to take him to the others. Daniel explains that the hydrogen bomb could change or reset the future. Radzinski tries to stop them and sounds the alarm and they escape. Radzinski goes to Sawyer and he realizes that Sawyer and Juliet are involved. He takes them in and interrogates them to find the location of the others. Sawyer says that he'll talk if he and Juliet can leave on the submarine. Daniel storms into the others' camp but is shot dead by his mother, Eloise, as she always knew she did. Kate and Jack are then captured, but Jack convinces Eloise that they can put things right. She agrees to take them to Jughead. Kate refuses to go along, though, and she gets captured and put on the submarine. Miles and Hurley, meanwhile, are confronted by Dr. Chang, who realizes that Daniel was telling the truth. He puts his wife and baby Miles on the submarine, then goes to the swan site and tries to stop the drilling, but Radzinski refuses. Saeed joins up with Jack, Eloise, and Richard, and they retrieve the warhead from Jughead. Richard knocks Eloise out and takes her to safety, so Jack and Saeed alone head for the swan. Roger spots them, though, and Saeed is shot, but they're rescued at the last minute by Miles and Hurley. On the submarine, Kate tells Sawyer and Juliet about Jack's plan, and Juliet agrees that they have to stop him. They get off the sub, row back to the island, bump into Rose and Bernard, and finally intercept Jack and friends en route to the Swan. But then Juliet changes her mind and doesn't want to stop him. Well, Saeed rigs the warhead, and Jack takes it into the Swan site, but he's soon spotted, and there's a shootout. So Juliet, Hurley, and friends come to the rescue. Suddenly, the drill starts to shake and collapse. Things start flying and falling down the hole, including Juliet. But she survives the fall, and deep down below, she hits the warhead from Jughead with a rock until a bright white flash. And, and thud. thud. And thud indeed. That is season five in uh, ten minutes. So they're, you know, still lost in a nutshell, just kind of a bigger nutshell. A and, coconut shell. Yes, a coconut shell. And definitely a shell that we're going to want to crack after this short break. Welcome back, and we can't wait to get to our brief thoughts on Season 5 and get to your extensive and brilliant thoughts in you all, everybody. But first, we wanted to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from that can be downloaded and played back anywhere, anytime, in your car, in your iPod, just like the transmission. And thanks to Audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. So if you've always wanted to read the many books mentioned on Lost, Audible.com is a great way to go. For example, you can pick up A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking, and this one is narrated by Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson? Just uh, not that Michael Jackson. In any case, this was the book that Aldo was reading when he was guarding the building that was right. holding Carl. In mm-hmm. the episode Not in Portland, mm-hmm. the book also appeared in Ben's living space in The Man from Tallahassee. That's right. Now, this is a pretty heady book, but actually a kind of a good one to get into, especially after season five. It attempts to explain cosmology, the Big Bang, black holes, and all kinds of really high-end theories, including complex mathematics. So, But it's directed at the layperson like you and me. And you can make it your free pick with this offer. Just go to Audible Podcast 
audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. And we definitely want to thank Audible for their support yes. and their help. Uh, Without Beth them, we uh, would not Velvet. be going to Comic-Con this Absolutely year. a big part of making that happen. All right. So uh, we really just want to keep this section short. As we said at the end of our last podcast, we wanted this Season 5 podcast to be mostly about you, the real brains behind this show. <laughs> but I did want to just ask a few of these simple questions. First of all, Jen, how did you like Season 5 overall? It had some really good points, but it had some points that frustrated me. Mm-hmm. And it me- really made me question what I had seen previously and what we're going to see. And, and I'm, you know, I'm really not sure now what's going to happen. Well, I would agree that uh, it was a very complex season. And certainly with the big reveal at the end in the season finale with Jacob and anti-Jacob or Flock or whatever you want to call him, um, clearly there's more going on here than we were led to believe from early on. Although, I, you know, I do see season to season that basically the lens is opening wider and wider and pulling back and pulling back. I really enjoyed this season, uh, but it was very fast-paced. And I think that, you know, just like a boat, the faster it goes, the less deep it is in the water until sometimes it even loses touch with the water. Uh-huh. I think that that's kind of what happened in season five a few times with its velocity and uh, what we really wanted to see from some of the characters. And I think we're going to get into that. But, you know, I think the characters did lose some of their depth as a result of the Yeah, speed. there were there are moments like in season one and season two where you really feel like you're getting to know the characters and you're tying the character's personality into what's going on on the show. And I kind of think we might have lost that a little bit in our attempts to answer all the questions. Right. And I think that that's going to be, unfortunately, the way it might be in season six as well, because, yes, they have an end point. So they've got a lot of things that they feel need to be in there before they close out. And they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, I can see going into season six. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue this pace? Because you really want to get to all of the answers, the mileposts, the clues and explanations that a lot of the fans really, really crave at the expense of the characters? Or are you going to really kind of return us to some of the character driven stories and really frustrate the people who want to see every answer revealed? I, right. I don't I don't envy them. They're walking a fine line. So overall, I think season five was a heck of a ride. If anything, it was a roller coaster. Yes. And I would think, I mean, if you want, I mean, well, first of all, I would say season one almost is automatically always the best season of simply course. because there was so much unknown then and it was so mesmerizing back then so apart from that i think i I still like season four better than season five but i think season five is is a strong third place where would you put season uh, five probably where you would put it about third behind one and four but ahead of two and three no so definitely yeah i think again a great season uh definitely a roller coaster with uh some some shock shocking moments even like season the one. most shocking moment on tv ever saeed gunning down little ben ah yes well i mean i mean in on tv in general yes. i would say that that's certainly a landmark although i that i would get to that later on in a frustrating moment because you know he didn't really die either so they kind of wiggled their way out of that in any case uh what did you say what would you say was your favorite episode out of all of the episodes in season five my two favorite and i'm having a hard time figuring out which one is really my favorite but it's between jughead and this place is death well, what'd you like about jughead it was brilliant we saw widmore everything tied together really well it put was well written put the gun down widmore Ellie, I just thought everything came together really well. The writing was terrific. It was very memorable. I think that it's probably a key episode of Lost. All right. And uh, what did you say the other one was? This Place this is place Death. This Place is Death. Um, because of young Rousseau and, and Jin and... Um, Charlotte, I think, was also... Right. Charlotte finding out 
why Rousseau might be nuts. I just thought it was very well done. Also. Although, I mean, I also um, there've been there's been a lot of discussion about this place's death because some of the things that we see happen to Rousseau are at odds with what she says happens earlier in the earlier seasons. So now the question is, is that you know just sort of kind of sketch, get being sketchy with the writing, or is are those discrepancies a key part of what's going no, on? No, nobody's her? memory is perfect. Everybody has points in their memory that are a little weak. Okay. I think Rousseau has kind of gone off the deep end. Yeah, I think she's earned the right to be a little fuzzy on the details. Absolutely. Well, my favorite episodes, uh, well, first, I definitely would put Le Fleur. And uh, I really find that choice actually surprising to me because I don't generally consider myself a shipper. But as far as an episode that really kind of got into the relationships of Lost and and in its own way introduced a lot of these new characters, you know, every season has introduced a new set of characters. That was the episode that really got us meeting some of the names and faces of 1977 uh, Dharma Initiative. But really, you cannot beat that tingle, that gasp, that sitting back in your seat, the, the, the little wetness, the uh, little dustiness in the living room when the scene says, you know, three years later, and uh, he comes home to Juliet in yeah. that portrait of domestic bliss. So just for that, almost, um, really makes... Uh, La Fleur, my favorite episode, which again, I think is an unlikely one since, you know, a lot of the sci-fi, a lot of the time travel was great, but the the one that got me right here has got to be that one. The other episode that I liked, um, that I can see also an argument against it, was Some Like It Hot. That was one, that was up there for me too. I really enjoyed that one I mean, a lot. I mean, I think when we discussed that episode, I said, this episode is totally fan bait. You know, it's like, a, it's like an episode completely written to pander to the fans. <laughs> you know, Star Wars references, little neat lines, Miles and Hurley on the best buddy journey of Lost so far, I think. The two of them together were fantastic, rolling into the whole argument over time travel later on and stuff, but I think the dynamic set up in Some Like It Hoth was fantastic. But uh, yeah, I can also see that that was a little bit, you know, just trying to play to the audience, but I'm sorry, I was played, I would say, Some Like It Hoth, especially because of the humor. You know, this episode... the last scene got me totally got me right again another dusty theater moment there when miles sees his dad was actually happy totally thrilled to be a dad and in love with with his baby yeah absolutely oh see i'm getting a little overclamped now uh well you know with the good comes the bad i wanted to know what your least favorite episode of season five was i have again two i wasn't able to narrow it down um light the life and death of jeremy bentham I had such high hopes for it. Mm. I had such a vision in my head of how it would go, and it didn't go that way at all. I felt like the writing was flat. I felt like the characters were not behaving in the way we were accustomed. It felt like, I, I think I said it felt like fanfic. Hmm. Just, you know, be, because I had so much hope for this episode, and also my disdain for the finale um the incident yes, is we well that documented <laughs> although again on rewatching, you didn't like you didn't dislike it as much as you did i still have issues with it and i probably still ha- will have issues with it until the f- t- until the premiere next season right well uh, i can definitely see the life and death of jeremy bentham but i think to some extent not liking that one is our own fault because we of course were doing forward cabins we of course were looking at the titles of episodes right. coming up and when you saw that you fixated on you said that is gonna be the episode that tells everything that happened and unfortunately they were right it was the episode that told you everything that happened to poor Locke but 
really it was just going down a checklist. Uh-huh. Oh, he meets this person. He meets this person. He meets this person. You know, the scene with with Kate was just sort of scratch your head, like what the hell was that? I mean, you didn't even need some of those interactions that he had. So I can see that. Um, I am going to perhaps upset a few people. My least favorite probably is the variable. Uh, although, again, there are a number of reasons why that was a great episode. It was a huge mythology episode. It was a huge key to what all of season five eventually ended up being about, which is, are humans the variable, or is it whatever happened, happened? You know, those two right. titles, kind of the big question of season five. But unfortunately, that episode itself, I just I just remember feeling a little let down by it. I mean, one, it was a Faraday episode, but it was a completely rushed Faraday episode. And they've done this to a number of characters right, right. before they get killed. Little kid, little kid, little kid, Oxford! Right. But... So one, they crushed it all in there, but two, you it, it, it was so obviously a setup to the fact that he was going to die, which is what they do to all of these characters. Right. So as you see him go through this, you're like, well, things aren't going to go very well for him at all. And of course, it had one of the more cheesier scenes, in my view, when Lost, when Lost tries to become, I don't know, an action show or a cop show or a show with a shootout and people jumping into cars and thinking it's blowing up. That really doesn't feel like Lost to me. No, it doesn't. And they relied on that a lot this season, which is a little bit disappointing. Yeah. For me. So we got that in the variable. And I, I mean, to me, I will just compare that scene with the shootout and the Jeep and the explosion to some of my favorite scenes of Lost, which were held in the back room, practically a closet of the hatch with just two people talking to each other. That is the Lost I love. Well, um, did you have uh, any least favorite moments? Let's get those out of the way. Least favorite moments of season five? The Juliet's stupid oh girl stunt in the finale. <laughs> let's go get him. No, let's not get him. I want. I don't want to get him because... Because I'm mad at you right now. And I'm mad at you because you were looking at her. That was so not lost. That was Melrose Place or, oh or something. I don't I don't know what that was. I love Juliet. I thought she was a brilliant, smart, strong woman. And just to see her flake like that was frustrating. Well, there, there have been a number of really decent, I would say, defenses put up for Juliet, among them that the, the her very brief and shoehorned-in flashback shows you that she had issues with commitment with men, and we saw that with yeah. her flashback. Was it not in Portland, I think? Or? Yes, it was. So, I mean, yes, we get we get it. Uh, Juliet had problems with relationships and, and commitment, and certainly the finale kind of showed all of our characters, as we discussed, kind of falling back on their old selves, but it did seem ridiculously contrived, especially since she's willing to turn a submarine around and and stand in front of a van and stop this person right. and then a funny look and she turns around and yeah it, it it's something that some of uh, our listeners will chime in on later on in this podcast about where the plot starts to drive the character's motivations rather than the other way around so i can see that i think the only thing that really frustrated me if not that was sort of the wonderful as you mentioned the most shocking event on television anywhere this year was uh, saeed shooting gunning down a young child yeah and then the next episode the bullet hole moves you know yeah. five inches to the right and he's still fine and they, they he's he's not injured enough to the point where they can carry him and just sort of go for a walk through the jungle to get him i safe. know that was totally frustrating so i would say that was probably a low moment but that of course is the lead up to much brighter things what was your favorite moment of season five in whatever happened happened when kate gives aaron up to his grandmother and she's saying goodbye completely gut-wrenching for me i think it's like the first time since the beginning of the series where i really related to kate wow well i'm I'm kind of surprised to hear that but perhaps not at, at the same time because you know your feelings on kate as a character are also well done 
documented. Yes. And, you know, Kate has been a star of the show from season one, but I would agree with you that whatever happened, happened here in season five was her best episode, her yes. best flashback. And throughout season five and even season season four, where she's like, I'm a mom, I, I care about Aaron, I, being a mom is the most important thing to me. She seemed to say that, but didn't seem to convey that. And we were very doubtful of this this new Kate. Yeah. But yeah, and whatever happened, happened when she had to say bye. Uh, it did get a little dusty in the theater once again. I think we're definitely bringing up a lot of these heart-wrenching moments. I think there are quite a few yeah, of those. Definitely. Yeah. So, okay. I'll, and I'll... also another favorite okay. moment moment in mind put the gun down widmore yes yes that was a scream out loud in your living room moment yes. I, I definitely would have to say that was up there I, I, my my moment i think i mentioned it already uh would have to be the subtitles three years later you know mm-hmm. when we see because we've been seeing the two different time periods going back and forth but when that that explained what was going on and that jumped us through uh it i would have to say that that was probably the biggest risk they took this season to basically say we're going to skip this part but we are going to somehow make you believe that in those three years this could happen that sawyer the bad boy from season one could become a devoted husband a great leader a person who cares about his community protects the community a hero so yeah three years later those subtitles just just gave me chills and i yeah i'd also put on that list as you said when miles saw himself with the, his dad or baby you know saw his, his baby self and uh, one that just jumped into my head that we had discussed was right before Locke goes down into the well oh well. that smile i love that he yeah. says um what would be well, the fun the, in that and he just and he didn't mean to do it i know that terry o'quinn didn't mean to do it but he couldn't help it and yeah. it just I love that scene. Very cool. So do you have any, and uh, there were many, do you have any favorite lines of dialogue from season so five? So many, so many. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's the moment or the line. I don't know if it's the fact that this happened or if it's a line. I'm tired and I'm hungry and we can't even get <laughs> fire. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, on the short list. Um, you know, uh, probably a, a pandering to fans moment. I mean, you knew when, when Froger suddenly surfaced as a character in season five, that he was so immediately annoying. He was so Jar Jar Binks that he was going <laughs> to bite it. But the fact that he died that way, definitely, uh, definitely a good one. Anything else? A 12-year-old Benjamin Linus just brought me a chicken salad sandwich. How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, Saeed doesn't get a lot of the, the laugh lines or the clever or dry lines, but I'd say that was a strong one for him. And definitely, we're not going to Guam, are we? Well, yes. Uh, many people on our blog, I think, mentioned that as their favorite line. Um, my and, favorite... and also, and pretty much everything Rose said in the finale. Really? Ah, uh, hell no. Well, okay, I like that. As far as a, a great greeting for someone that you haven't seen for years, ah, uh, hell no, has got to be honest. <laughs> On that and you know I still there's a lot of mixed feelings about how that Rose and Bernard scene went it was clearly a farewell scene you know it was clearly obviously we need to tie yeah. off this loose end sorry folks stop talking about it um, so that was frustrating but I still think that it was a good way for them so I agree um, I, I I liked a lot of the dry rye lines as well I remember uh, when Locke is breathless and shot in the leg and trying to get patched up and getting that message and he gives and uh, Albert gives him the compass <laughs> and uh, Locke says what does it do and Albert says it points north John yes like you know I don't have time to explain this to you dude get with it um Miles, you know, really climbing the ranks of the cool lines lines. You know, Sawyer would get them a lot. Hurley would get them a lot. But Miles definitely was climbing the ranks this season with the, you know, can't you translate? Uh, He's from Encino. You know, what? He's from, he's Korean. I'm from Encino. (laughs) So I like that one. And uh, of course, Ben, uh, you know, just 
even when he's here as the defeated being dragged around doesn't know the answers Ben he can't stop being a wise ass yes. um, like you know uh, are you afraid I'm going to stage a coup well I'm not afraid of anything that you're going to do well I guess I'll be happy to come <laughs> or my favorite definitely is uh, Jack is frustrated with him how can you read and he goes my mother taught me <laughs> and as you had pointed out the best part about that Which line is, it's a lie it's an absolute lie his mom died he didn't teach him to read so very very great lines in there um well we definitely want to get to the feedback section so is there anything else i mean well are there any loose threads or unanswered questions that are burning in your mind that you need to see resolved in season six i really just want to know who the hell is Richard Alpert. Hmm. Is he a pharaoh? Is he a really old guy? Did he come on the Black Rock? How did he meet all these people? I really just want to know about Richard Alpert. Yeah, and again, season five was an interesting one for his character because they revealed halfway through that he's not all-knowing. He was shocked to see Locke back from the dead. Yeah. And in fact, the, the when he messed with Locke and telling him you're going to have to die, that was Locke telling him himself to pass on that message. So, you know, all of a sudden, Alpert suddenly seems a lot more fall- fallible, a lot more mortal. So I thought that was definitely interesting. I mean, there are a lot of uh, kind of loose ends that they left on purpose, I think. Of course, Hurley's guitar case um which they i had the feeling they were going to get to but they didn't get to you know if they don't get to that if that is like the thing that they never answer i will be totally okay with that right right i think you mentioned on the ramble on podcast sort of the the pulp fiction gold suitcase sort of scene I don't know if I, I guess that'd be kind of cool of them. My problem is that they played it up. You know, the creator said, oh, you're going to find out what's in that case. That's true. So, I mean, the fact that that didn't come around, I think the scene with the canoes where Juliet and Sawyer get yeah, shot at I from another set of canoes. I absolutely want to know who's in that other canoe. Yeah, I mean, it got to the point where there was a wiki where people were tracking which shore, which canoe was on at which time, you know, trying to figure out who those people could possibly be, and they didn't get around to it. And my fear is with a lot of these things that with season six and everything they're going to have to accomplish there is that a lot of this stuff might just get left out, you know, just to be debated forever and ever. Yeah. Um, you know, it was also mentioned on that Ramble On podcast, people were pointing out the whole No Country for Old Men uh, box in the, oh, you know, right. vent thing that right. that Ben actually pulls out and puts in his suitcase. So he was hiding something at that motel. He puts it in his suitcase to bring with him back to the island. Right. So maybe Hurley's guitar case is one part of it, but there are other artifacts clearly being brought back to the island. I think that's definitely a mystery as well. Uh, any other mysteries uh, driving, keeping you up at night? Why is Ilana bandaged from head to toe and why is she in a Russian hospital? And how does she know Jacob? Actually, I think that last question is the key. And I think of all of these mysteries, that's one that I think they might get to in season six, which is clearly who is Jacob and who is he interacting with? How is he moving around? And yeah, he Ilana knew who he was, so they've had a past relationship. So yeah. that's, that's a big one. I think that uh, in that vein would be, what's a candidate? Why is, why is Frank a candidate and what are they a candidate for? Right. And I think as we begin to really question the nature of Jacob, that might sort of all come in line. You know, Jacob's sort of the second command advisory position, this perennial character that maybe that's the role that Ilana played at some point, and maybe that's a role that Frank is a candidate for. I don't know. I would, I think, close this with uh, what we want out of season six, what we want to see in that final wonderful epic season of the most epic show on television. And I would say, well, short on the short list would probably be Juliet. Yes. I mean, I want to see more of Elizabeth Mitchell. She is 
hands down my favorite female character on the show. One of my favorite characters of all. I mean, sure, we have the original cast, but she and Michael Emerson, when they joined, really made, I think, Lost a much more complex and more powerful show. And especially the way things ended in the season finale, I think she deserves much better. I mean, obviously, she is an actress, has other engagements, but I definitely hope that I would see her in season six. So that would be on my wish list. How about you? I'd really like Jack and Kate to stop sucking. Okay. What do you mean by that? I'd like them to get their balls back. I would like Jack to find the courage to lead again, to be smart, to stop whining for once, and for Kate to be the the capable woman that she was in the first few episodes of the series. You know what? I think you've, you've got something there. I mean, re- just remembering, and a lot of uh, other podcasters and people are rewatching season one of Lost, and the, the episodes that we're catching on the Sci-Fi channel, and you see Jack, and you see Kate, and you are reminded of how compelling they were, how interesting they were, and yes, how strong their characters were and how the mighty have fallen how they've become sort of aimless and frustrating as this show has unfolded i think that one of the best things that lost could do for season six is bring them back is that remember the beginning of the show how great they were turns out they always were great here you go here's the jack and kate you always loved and they can return i would be happy if they could be redeemed and return to the stars of the show yes so that'd be kind of cool that would be great um the only other wish list i think might be the smoke monster you know there's definitely a lot of questions about that yeah well i definitely have a lot of questions about that and i think they have no choice just the way things are going, I think they have no choice but to tell us definitively what the smoke monster is, what its role is, and what it was created for. Yeah, we certainly got, I think, the best picture ever of its nature and who interacts with it and what role it might play in season five. Certainly, this was a very strong smoke monster season, but I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of heartened to believe that since it does seem to be in line with this overall battle between Jacob and the anti-Jacob, that uh, the smoke monster will indeed be one of the things that will be explained in season six. But unfortunately, then it'll be all over for us, and in many ways, ways even now i'm beginning to dread that end i absolutely dread it i think i'm gonna cry through the whole finale next season (laughs) my my well that is our take on all of season five and now we want to really lay out the red carpet and luxuriate in the brilliant and interesting feedback of you our listeners in you You all all, everybody Welcome to You All, Everybody, where we turn the show over to our brilliant listeners. And for this special podcast, we begin with unabridged voicemails. We have calls from Mike, Julius, and Mark. Hey, this is Mike calling about the podcast, calling from New Jersey. Big fan of the show, big fan of Lost. Holy freaking freaking crap. Five seasons down, one to go. Uh, One thing that struck me during your last podcast, was when you were talking about the Latin. And I recalled in a previous episode, Juliet uh, and the others, this is back in a flashback to the 50s, they spoke Latin to one another, Juliet was able to interact with them, and she uh, remarked that Latin is Others 101. So that could give us a clue as to Bram and Alana's allegiance as far as which faction they would be of the others as opposed to, uh, well, 
as opposed to I don't know what, uh, whether they're old others, new others, or uh, some kind of other others that we haven't even seen. But that's it. That's all I got. Have a great one. See you next season. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Julius from Tropical Cleveland, Ohio. And I was just finishing listening to your last podcast, and I came up with this really weird theory. I was wondering, what do you guys think about this? What if AJ actually took the form of Jacob and then went back and interacted with Saeed and Jack and Kate and all of them. Um, I don't know what purpose it would serve for him since they've never seen either one of them, but I think it would be a cool thing that the producers would have done just to throw off all the viewers. So uh, that was my crazy theory. Thanks a lot. Really enjoy the podcast. Bye. Howdy. This is Mark from Texas with uh, Texan Holy Freaking Craps on Season 5. Uh, it was just a mind blower. I just finished listening to your podcast, and I was thinking about a different sci-fi series that had a distinct beginning, middle, and end, and it was um, Babylon 5, where uh, it wasn't fully understood until midway in the fourth season that the premise was a philosophical battle between two alien space races that um, were fully evolved. And I hope that that's not quite what Lost ends up being about because it's been done before. But I do enjoy the ride and whatever season six um, brings. I hope that they don't fully answer all the questions and Pat because that would just be boring. A little bit of mystery at the end wouldn't hurt. Thanks for those calls. And uh, Mike from New Jersey says that Ilana might be another. Well, she does understand Richard uh, when he answers her back in Latin. So I, I, I think there there is some connection. It might go further back than we even think. But Yeah, I would say that it goes further back. I mean, I think the others might have been learning Latin because they were interested in what's going on on the island. And right. that has Latin going further back. But still, a good thought. Julius from uh, Tropical Cleveland, Ohio, says he thinks that it could be possible that when Jacob was interacting with all the Losties, it was actually AJ doing all that. Possibly, but I, I don't know. That seems it seems really strange to think of it that way. That it's, it's you think it's somebody and it's not somebody. I don't know. I'm yeah, having... I mean, I would say for season six, for there to be a double double cross might be just a bit too much to untangle. But that makes my head hurt. Yeah, I'm already getting a headache. We're just getting started. Finally, Mark from Texas says that you know this show kind of reminds him of Babylon Five, which only which also didn't reveal toward until toward the end that it was actually about a bigger battle going on. What do you think? Oh, I, I never saw Babylon Five, but. Sounds good to me. Well, I mean, there, it goes to a lot of things, and we've discussed previously even The Stand and other sh- uh, shows and properties out there that kind of do the same thing, where you think right. that it's one thing where it's a battle between A and B and then larger factions and then entire countries, and then actually it's God and the devil going on. So right. I can definitely see that. Who's up next? Michelle, Pete, and Daniel. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Michelle in New York. And I just wanted to mention that um, you, you asked sort of what we were looking forward to the most um, season six, and I gotta say, definitely, um, Richard answers. Um, I mean, we, you know, there was a rumor going around that Follow the Leader was a Richard centric episode, I think, at the time, and that didn't pan out, although it was a great episode, and, um, like, I, I'm just itching with curiosity, itching for, I'll be itching for eight months, it looks like, but, uh, you know, he, he's looking more and more like, you know, an, an ordinary mortal who just happens to have been given, um, you know, eternal life or some very lengthy purpose by Jacob. Um, you know, I, I 
do like the theory that he's captain that he was captain or on the ship of on the Black Rock um, when it landed on the island. Um, but at the same time, um, Alana's mentioning that he is called or calling him Ricardus seems to you know send him back to a much earlier era. Um, so uh, basically, I you know I think he he finding out about Richard will. will shed light on a lot of things i think you know including including jacob and where jacob's coming from and what his goal is in the long run and um you know maybe what jacob does with people who either are fail terribly at his you know goals for human perfection or maybe even succeed so that's what i'm looking forward to love the podcast thank you for the delicious two hours discussing the incident um very much appreciated and have a great summer. Bye. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Pete from Rockford, Illinois, just calling with a quick little theory. Uh, I uh, was just recently looking on the abc.com website and saw that the the large statue you may or may not have uh, seen, uh, the abc.com recap officially uh, confirms it to be the Egyptian goddess Tawaret who in ancient Egyptian history was a was seen as a deity of protection in pregnancy and childbirth. Um, now, if you recall, when Ben and Son are speaking and Son asks about what happened to the statue, uh, Ben basically says, well, it was like that when we got here, and Son basically accuses him of lying. And so I thought, well, what if the destruction of the statue is a much more recent development and that's what's causing all of the pregnancy-related problems on the island? No more goddess of protection in pregnancy and childbirth, and all of a sudden pregnancies don't come to terms, term and pregnant women die. Um, it was just a thought. Um, thank you very much for all the work you do on the podcast. I hope you do a follow-up cast, uh, but even if you don't, I'm looking forward to hearing everything you have to say about Season 6. Aloha. Hey, John and Ryan. It's Dan from Boston. Uh, wonderful two-hour podcast finishing up the season. I really appreciate your effort and what you, what you guys put in. Uh, so I have some theories about Season 5 that I wanted to share. Um, one of them is my, my sense of the show as a whole, and especially with the last episode, is that what we're dealing with is a little bit of the Job story. If you look back to the biblical story of Job, it's God and Satan testing humans, testing humanity, namely testing Job to see sort of what um, Job's faith will bring. And so I'm wondering now with this introduction of, of Jacob and anti-Jacob, as you call him, although I prefer to call him um, Unlock. Um, but with uh, Unlock and Jacob, whether, in fact, what we're dealing with is sort of God's playing with humanity. Um, and if you remember the way Job ended, Job ended with Job questioning God, essentially, and God coming back and saying, who are you to question me? Um, and this enormous show of force that ends with Job getting a new wife new kids, new everything, but not necessarily the same man he once was. So it may be worth going back and sort of looking at um, Job again. One of the other pieces that I think is fascinating about the book of Job is there are the comforters, the friends, who tell Job how wrong he is and why this is really all his fault, not God's. And so I wonder what role that is, if that's, in a sense, Albert, if Albert is a comforter, if maybe... Um, 
some of the other characters are comforters. And then the question is, who's Job? Is Job Jack? Is Job Locke? Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts about this, and I think there is something at play here, uh, especially with black and white, God and the devil, good and evil. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Love the podcast. Thank you so much, and have a great hiatus. Well, mahalo for those calls. Well, Michelle, like you, wants to know more about Richard. He absolutely. I mean, he's mysterious and he's a snappy dresser. I right. want to know more. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we a lot of people thought that he was the captain of the Black Rock, but if he's known as Ricardus, then he could be an ancient, uh, much more ancient character there. Pete from Rockford, Illinois, says, uh, be, you know, the statue is probably Tauret. That. Uh, because Ben tells Sutton, oh, yeah, I don't expect you to believe that the statue was gone when I got here, that maybe the statue was there for a long time, and the statue is key to even the pregnancy problems that we saw the others having in the 70s. I don't know. I can't imagine Ben having the resources to bring down the statue. I think he's <laughs> probably telling the truth. Well, I don't think she was saying that he brought down the statue or our caller either, but but I do think that the statue disappeared fairly long back. I don't think the statue was there in the 60s or 70s or any time in the 20th century. That's At least that's not the sense that I got from this season where they only got that you know brief glance you know right. way before and then it, it's gone again so i don't think that's the case daniel from boston finally saying that this whole thing reminds him of the story of job from the bible now as the ungodly heathen that i am i don't really know the story of job but you a lovely catholic girl what do you think about that comparison um if i'm imagining anybody in the lost universe as job i would have to say it's ben just because of what we saw in the finale, he was so broken down and frustrated and angry because he had been doing everything the island demanded of him. And he's been jerked around for a long time now. And I'm really beginning to see the parallels between Ben and Job. Yeah, actually, I mean, I've, just from what I pick up when I'm not paying attention and tweeting in church. But, you know, <laughs> I think Job, yeah, basically was a guy who everything went bad for him. I mean, God just kept piling on, making his life totally suck. And finally he goes, look, what the hell is going on here? Give me a, you know, give me a sign that you're even there, that there's Throw any purpose to do <laughs> what's going and in the end, he rejects God. And, you know, of course, things don't necessarily turn out for him at that point either. So, I, but again, you know, the biblical theories about Lost are fantastic. And there are podcasts that focus on that because there's a lot of it. There is a lot of show. it, for sure. All right. Upcoming calls from Gary, Tripp, and Sobeka. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Gary from Indiana. Uh, just calling to give you guys some of my thoughts on season five and season six. Um, overall, I really liked season five. I thought it was an awesome season. I still think season two is my personal favorite at this point, but five would have to be a close second for me. Uh, season two had my favorite ever season premiere, and season five had my favorite season finale. So I thought it was interesting, a lot of the parallels between those two seasons, you know, season both of them starting out with sort of the record player song montage with a brand new character, or at least a character that we hadn't really ever seen in person in their natural timeline before as Chang and then also um, Desmond in season two. That was a pretty cool opening. And also, you know, the whole thing during season two being what the question is, what do we do about this button? Does the button really do anything, yes or no? I mean, that's the whole question. And it was also interesting that season five had a similar question, can the past really be changed? Um, so I just, I just really liked both seasons. Um, they're definitely my two favorite seasons at this point. Some of the stuff that I'm really looking forward to in season six, I definitely want to find out about the numbers. I think I don't don't think I'm alone there. Um, I want to also find out what the deal is with Walt and Hurley. I mean, they've both been said that they have something special about them. There's something different about them. 
And I just really hope that we get a full resolution on just what that is and that they play a pretty big part coming up here. Um, it will also be interesting to find out a little more about Room 23. I mean, what was all that about? It was kind of shown in one episode and never showed again. I hope it doesn't become another Libby, but, I mean, you never know. But we'll see. That's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. Oh, and I also would love it if somehow we can see, whether in a flashback or, I don't know, see a lot of the old characters that have died in the past, like... We could see Boone and Shannon and Charlie and just all the all the main characters that we have spent so much time on throughout all the episodes, whether they're dead or not. I don't know if it would be like a montage at the end of the season or something, but I don't know. That would be really cool for me to see. Um, so, aloha, and uh, thanks for everything that you do, and uh, talk to you later. Hey, Jen and Ryan, it's Trip from Alabama, and I've got an idea about the incident that I wanted to discuss. Uh, the incident was actually two events. It was the H-bomb going off while the electromagnetic event was occurring. And the uh, electromagnetic event, you know, we, we know that that was, uh, that the first one they had was in season two uh, when the sky turned purple because Desmond uh, turned the the, uh, the key. Anyway, that caused Desmond to have uh, mind flashes. Um, and uh, so anyway, with the electromagnetic event going on and then the H-bomb detonates, I think what happened is that those two things, um, they canceled each other out because an H-bomb, when it goes off, it, it emits a big EMP or an electromagnetic pulse. And that's the same thing that's going on with the electromagnetic uh, event is emitting an electromagnetic pulse. So I think they cancel each other out, and then what you have left over is a blast force from the hydrogen bomb, but it's underground, so it's no big deal other than it kills Juliet because it's going to be pretty violent down there. And also... The, I think the four-toed statue probably fell over because of the earthquake or, you know, the shaking of the ground. The other thing you have from the, uh, the H-bomb is a uh, fallout, but that's all underground, so I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. So I think what the result is is that Flight 815 is still going to crash in uh, 2005 because, you know, what happened happened. You can't change the past, and uh, there's always the course correction factor there. But I think the four-toed statue will fall over. That's Towerette, who is the protector of pregnancy and childbirth. So because of that, I think uh, I think there's going to be no more babies at that point in 1977 because the, the uh, Towerette was knocked over. So I think that's what, what's all going to happen. Um, can't wait to hear you guys again. Can't wait for the to start. See ya. Hi, guys. My name's Sabeka. I'm from Boston, and I just wanted to contribute to your uh, season five podcast. Hopefully you're going to do it because I'm really looking forward to it. Overall, um, I think season five was really great in that it's exactly what the fans were looking for in terms of answers and moving forward with the storyline, but it was not the best in my opinion, nor was the finale the best. Um, in exchange for all of the plot movement that we got, we lost a lot of the character stuff, I thought, and there was a constant debate on your podcasts about you know, character episodes versus mythology episodes, and that's never how I viewed it. They both kind of go hand in hand. Um, but, for example, this season, when we finally got Saeed's flashback, Ilana is exactly who we thought she was. She was someone who was hired to take him onto that flight, and we didn't get any other information besides something that we'd already figured out. That's where it was lacking. There was nothing new. They were just sort of going down and answering, okay, this is who Alana is, this is who this is, this is what Chughead is. And there was no reveal character or emotionally engaging reveals. 
Um, I do think, though, that my favorite part had to have been Juliet and Sawyer getting together in LaFleur, which for me is still the best episode of season five. And uh, I don't know, based on the finale, it doesn't seem that they're going to end up together. But I thought this season was really lacking in uh, cohesive storytelling. It was either, you know, answer, 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 or really contrived character switches, um, the most prime example being in the finale. But um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. This is still the show I'll always love. Um, I'm looking forward to your podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for those calls. Now, Gary in Indiana drawing some parallels between season two and season five. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely felt it all through the season that there were little signs and little things that pointed back to season two that made you go, okay, that's what that well, was. Well, absolutely. Season two was where you started discovering the hatches and started uncovering the uh, what was left of the you know, the whole setup for the Dharma Initiative. So, right. of course, season five, all about going on in, you know, into the Dharma Initiative in the 70s. I could see those connections. I definitely didn't pick up on how they did the, the opening scene, which is sort of the same thing that they pulled. Like, what's going on? Where are we? And so right. certainly those have been some of the best season premieres for Lost. Uh, many things he wants to see, many questions. Room 23. You know, what's going on with Walt and Hurley? What do you think about a way to bring back all of the old characters, uh, the Charlies, the Shannons, the Boons? If they can do it, I am so there. Really? Even though if that meant that, say, they had to do a reboot, they had to reset things, they had to be getting back on that plane and starting all over again? If I can see one more minute of Mr. Echo on the show, it'll be oh, worth it. Mr. Echo would be a big one, definitely. And, you know, I mean, I think Boone didn't really get a, his just desserts, and no, Charlie has a lot of fans. Now, trip from Alabama, you know, well, actually kind of repeating some of the thoughts of our earlier caller about Tower Red and the God of Pregnancy and how maybe the... The detonation of Jughead is what brought the statue down. I think we would still say that I think the statue was gone by that point. Do you? No, I like we were saying, it just seems to me um, it, it would. I don't know. I'm envisioning like a weather type catastrophe, not the H bomb. And it, it does seem like it was a, a an event further back. In I definitely think it was further back. I don't know if it was the weather. I mean, certainly if we see in season six that it was a you know, a conscious choice by somebody to knock that sucker down, then that's what caused these pregnancy problems. I definitely agree with what they're saying as far as those two things being connected, the pregnancy mm -hmm. problems and rejecting the protection of the goddess Towerette. But, you know, and I just, I'm just not sure if it's that contemporary. But certainly, yes, when the H-bomb and the, the H-bomb went off and the whatever's going on with the electromagnetic pulse, those two things happened at the same time. But the only reason why I think that happened is so that whatever comes after the flash that ended season five could be anything. I mean, that's basically what I think yes. they're trying to say. And finally, Sobeka from Boston, you know, she agreed with us that uh, the season gave us answers that moved really fast, but we kind of lost some of that character development. And she also thought that Juliet and Sawyer getting together was one of the best parts of the season. It was one of the best parts of the show ever. Yeah, no disagreeing with that at all. Um, who are our next callers? Eric from Oakland, Eric from Sedona, Arizona, and Blue Dawn 1121. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Eric from Oakland, California. Long-time listener, fourth-time caller. Um, I hope you do a listener special or follow-up podcast after season five. I feel there's a lot to process and discuss. Um, I wanted to offer some thoughts on the finale and things in general. Um, in response to some of the things that were said on the last podcast, I don't agree that um, the characters like Juliet and Sawyer and Jack um, sort of going back on the progress they've made in terms of becoming more mature and having these regressions that they did in the uh, final episode is a bad thing. I think always 
in growth and learning, there are steps forward and steps back, and the steps back are equally important in the growth, and that what they're showing with each of them sort of making less mature choices than they have um, in recent episodes is that they're human and imperfect. And even though they're human and imperfect and make all kinds of mistakes and regressions, that they still can be forces for positivity in the world. And I think that that's going to be important in what's coming next, that somehow our core losties who are hopefully returning to 2007 will be uh, very important players in whatever's about to happen. And it won't be that because they've become mature and somehow perfected beings that they'll save things, but rather uh, from their flawed humanity. And they're both great choices and bad choices with each other, with themselves, um, is what's going to be somehow the redemption on the island. And that that, I think, is what Jacob believes in at some level and what AJ or uh, Dark Locke doesn't uh, feel good about is humanity's flaws. And so um, I'm hoping that somehow Jacob has, in touching each of the losties that he touched uh, physically, that he somehow transferred some energy and that maybe they are somehow taking collectively or somehow going to take over some of his role on the island and maybe that it takes a lot of people to do that rather than just one. Um, anyways, love your podcast. I will really miss it during the hiatus, so I hope you do one or more episodes. Aloha. Hello. I'm a first-time caller, not yet a long-time listener. I came to Lost late and found you in the middle of the last season. I'm Eric from Sedona, Arizona, one of those other major energy centers allegedly scattered across the world. I could only cop down my top questions to three. So, one, what does Richard Albert know? Sure, he made sure that there were no dead bodies lying around the island, but did he know why? If he knew about Auntie Jacob's ability to possess bodies, he would have been much more suspicious of a resurrected lock than he was and wouldn't have accepted his leadership. Does he even know that the Auntie Jacob exists? Uh, by the way, uh, on Jacob, if he believes in choice, it makes sense he plans his own death. He must let people progress beyond him. Uh, two, the incident. Are we going to see what happens in the immediate aftermath of the incident? Will we learn why Dharma thought to even try using the numbers to hold the energy at bay? I'll be in San Diego, and that will be my question at the panel. They may blow it off, but I must try. Also, when Desmond was exposed to the implosion, he was slightly unstuck in time and became destiny-free Desmond. Will he, the survivors of the time travelers exposed to the incident experience similar or perhaps even greater changes? Uh, last, Hurley's power. Does Hurley really have a power? We know Miles does, though not yet why. I thought Hurley had a situation, being visited by ghosts or whatever, who could be visible to anyone they wanted to be visible to. He could send Charlie away, but my guess is that Charlie was from Jacob, who let Hurley naturally choose not to see him. Oh, and I bet that genuine Locke, or at least a replica, but with his genuine personality, will appear, though possibly, even preferably only occasionally, perhaps only in visions. But Jacob's touch must mean something. And I'll leave it there. I just really, really hope I left it in the right place. Thank you. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is uh, Blue Dog 1121 in California, and I was just—I just read your blog post about the listener show, so I thought I'd call, leave a quick message. Um, 
I loved season five. I thought it was great. I do miss the longer seasons, though. I miss the more relaxed, um, character-driven episodes. Uh, we don't get a lot of that anymore, and things do feel a little bit rushed. But, um, but I thought it was, it was a really, really good season. Um, my favorite scene of the season was, uh, just the first scene because I waited so long. Um, it was painful, just like it's painful now waiting for season six. So um, I think my least favorite scene was when Saeed shot young Ben because I loved Saeed. And when he um, tried to kill Ben, that was a sort of um, out of character. I thought that Saeed could never, you know, I thought he was a good person, wouldn't shoot a child. I was convinced that it would be explained away by the drugs later, but it wasn't. And, and so I'm kind of done with Saeed, which is sad because I really did like him a lot. Um, unanswered questions. Uh, I, I was really convinced that in the last episode, the incident, we were going to see the answer to the, the boat shooting, the canoes. And I, for a minute, I was convinced that Juliet was going to shoot herself because I thought that Juliet was going to die. Um, and every time someone got on a boat, I was like, it's it's coming now, it's coming now, and it never did. So that was disappointing. I'm also kind of desperate to know what's in Hurley's guitar case at this point. It's driving me nuts, and it's probably going to be totally anticlimactic when we find out in Season 6. Um, and I, I also really wish that we'd found out about Annie. I was convinced that also that we were going to find out more about that in Season 6. But if we'd had a longer season, I guess that would have been one of those things that they put in, but... Maybe next season. Um, my favorite line of the in- entire season was the um, Hurley saying that the Korean War didn't exist. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard at any line in Lost ever. I had to pause the show and laugh so that I wouldn't miss it. I was laughing so hard. Um, but Hurley's great. He's one of my favorite characters. And I also love every line that Ben has because he's my top favorite character and he's great. So, um I'm so excited to do season three rewatch with you guys and, and um, just keep on keeping on. You'll, you'll keep me over the hiatus from going too crazy waiting for season six. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, Eric from Oakland with a strong defense for of the things that we saw that frustrated us in the season finale, the characters supposedly reverting or, or falling back on their old ways. See, I understand regression and, and I understand characters doing something against their better judgment. But to me, it seemed like the characters were acting in service of the plot rather than the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a frustration a number of people have expressed. I think that, yes, it's true that uh, maybe it's going to be the way that these characters are not going to change, that maybe they can't change their stripes. That's certainly been one of the underlying core themes of Lost in general, um, except for the fact that, one, we've all been invested in kind of enjoying their growth. And two, I also agree with you that these changes don't seem to be because it's important for that to happen, but more because they needed them to happen for the plot to end up where they wanted it to be. And really, that's that's just kind of weak, I think. But, you know, certainly I can see that maybe the final reckoning in season six is going to be as a result of our humans, our characters being flawed. That would be great. I totally agree with Anti-Jacob that humans are destructive and tend to kind of screw things up. Whatever whatever they get into, they ruin it. And I think that that's not something that the show is going to try to disprove. I do get the sense that the ending of Lost will be kind of bittersweet, if not downright dark. But I do I do kind of want slightly stronger writing for our characters. The other Eric from Sedona, where there's another pocket of mysterious energy, you know, he agrees with us that, you know, what's going on with Richard? It turns out he's not as all-knowing as we thought he does. But he also wants to know, are we going to see what happens right after the incident? What do you think? I I would think so. The 
Juliet doing what she did is a pretty drastic thing. And I think they have no choice but to address that right away. Yeah, I mean, I think the the only way they can get away with that ending is by doing that. Because frankly, otherwise, it you know, the, the skeptic, the skeptic of Lost sees that season finale and says they wanted to flash to white. And then they would have all summer to kind of figure it all out. Like, we don't really know what we're going to do. So we're going to give a big reset button. We're going to pull a J.J. Abrams reboot. And then when we come back, we'll just start all over again. So I think the only way that can, that can redeem itself is, is to really explain what that had done. Right. Or do you think we're going to figure out whether Hurley is uh, special or has any powers? Well, he does seem extraordinarily lucky. <laughs> yes. um, it, but there are a lot of people on the island who, if they're not special, they do they are endowed with some kind of skill or knowledge that helps them cope or, or accomplish things on right. the island. Right. I mean, Eric mentions Miles, who not only says he speaks to the dead, but clearly that helps move the plot forward because he gets information that right. way. Um, Hurley, you know, he, you know, even Walt, a lot of characters who were said to be special Desmond, the rules don't apply to you. I mean, who knows how all of these unusual and special people are, are, are going to end up in the series. I kind of like the idea that Hurley being the fan favorite turns out to be the hero of the entire show. Absolutely. I, th- I think that could be the case because of all the things that we've seen him do he convinces jack to go back he's you know he's kind of a reluctant hero though right right and i think that's usually the heroes that we kind of see coming out of loss now finally blue dawn in california says you know the series was kind of rushed this season and she was actually kind of upset that saeed shot young ben she thought that was a bad thing for his character no i thought it was completely true to his character i mean we've seen him gun down people in in cold blood through the whole series i I think he really felt in his heart that he was doing something good by shooting Ben. He really thought that he was going to be able to change the future. Yeah, I think he was trying to stop all of the bad things that Ben goes on to do. And in fact, shooting someone as a young child is pretty much the most drastic way to accomplish that. I actually think that, yes, Saeed does have morals and does have character. And I think it went way against his inner, you know, beliefs He to was shoot conflicted about it. He was clearly not happy that he'd done it. But I think he knew what Ben was going to accomplish as an adult. Right. I mean, once he set his mind to do it, he got it done. I don't think he's necessarily proud of it. And, and you could see later on when he finds out that Ben is still alive, he's like, oh, great. You know, what was the whole point of that? But I would not give up on poor Saeed yet. And she also wants to find out about the boat shooting and the guitar case. A lot of favorites there. Uh, Hurley forgetting the Korean War or not knowing about the Korean <laughs> War was great. And uh, Ben is her top favorite character. I think that I might actually say that myself. Oh, yeah. He's evil, but I love him. <laughs> he, he may, well, we don't know. Well, okay, he is evil. But a lot of great stuff in those voicemails on our new Lost line. And holy cow, we're well over an hour here. But I think we should just keep going. I mean, uh, we've been off the air for two months. We've missed everybody. We'd love to hear from Let's more go. folks. All right. We have a, over 100 comments in the blog here. Just a few of them. Who's up first? JB writes, Season 5 was a whole new experience. Clearly unique compared to the first four seasons. The whole time-traveling extravaganza was a very clever way to revisit and give new perspectives to the island's mystery. Favorite moments? Faraday killed by his own mother. It was sad to lose such a great character, but with this scene and Charlotte's death scene, Jeremy Davies pulled amazing performances and the Jacob revelation. Introducing the biggest lost question mark in this casual yet incredibly mysterious way was just great. Worst moment? 
any lines pronounced by the hideous French speaking with a Canadian <laughs> accent cast. I'm French and it was pure torture. Well, okay, that's a fair point. I mean, they're not necessarily known for their uh, representation of foreign languages. But... I don't know. I'm French Canadian. It's not that okay to me. Okay, well, but still, if that's the worst point, then it was a pretty good season. <laughs> Michelle in New York says, I loved season five, and it's occurred to me that I hope we haven't seen the last of 1977. If your Jacob touching theory is right, then that would at least strand miles if Juliet is gone in a time that's not his own, and I am not ready to be done with him just yet. I'd also love more time with the Eloise and Charles of this point in time. This is clearly close to a pivotal point in their lives, and seeing more of them would probably shed a lot of light on the whole infinitely confusing issue of island leadership. Not to mention that I think those two actors have a really interesting chemistry that ought to be explored a little more. I'm glad I'm and, not the only one that thought that. Yeah, actually, and I, I mean, we had mentioned we think the actress who plays Eloise is fantastic. Alice Evans, she Absolutely. is, yeah. And then, of course, I remember that we have 17 episodes left. Anyone start a petition for a longer season? Okay. <laughs> we'll sign up. Next up. Jonah writes, In many ways, I kind of wish they had used the time travel storytelling at the end of season four. The beginning of season five would pick up in the 1970s and we would progress from there. The top of season five was so fast paced and all over the place, literally. And then all of a sudden, they returned to the season one to three style narrative and everything came to a grinding halt. This made the 70s Dharma time seem almost boring when I know they certainly weren't we had just been spoiled at the beginning of season five with a faster narrative season was by far not a disappointment nor was it the best season of the series for me my absolute favorite moments were when the pieces fell into place story-wise great character moments like when kate gave away aaron the final scene in Locke and ben's episodes and sawyer's relationship with juliet were outstanding well that's an interesting point that he felt that when it kind of returned to the traditional narrative style and we were really kind of settled in the dharma initiative that it ground to a halt i actually kind of liked that period and I think I, I, I would agree that the beginning of the end were and the end were much more fast paced but they were almost too fast paced well, I enjoyed the character development that we got in that middle segment. I really yeah. did. It felt more like season one when we were just getting to know everybody. Yeah, but the agreement there on Kate giving away Aaron is one of the great moments. Nuckin Futz writes, I think season five was a great season, but it really felt rushed. At least the Dharma stuff did. I wish we'd had spent more time finding out about the studies being done and the true purpose of Dharma, at least what its own recruits and volunteers were told. I really like the time travel and shifting, but in a way I thought that the disclaimers 30 years ago etc. were annoying, and I felt like it was dumbing it down for the newer viewers. My favorite moment was realizing that we would not just hear about the Dharma Initiative or see more videos, but that we would actually get to experience it firsthand through our losties. Least favorite would be the relatively little information, though, that we were given. I hated the subtitles. I am so with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I think they got they just they went a little bit too far. You know, at some point, the mysteries of trying to figure out where and when we are were kind of the best part of the show, especially right. in the first few seasons. Right. So spelling it out is, I would agree, kind of weak, but definitely a big fan of spending time with the Dharma Initiative. I loved the Dharma Initiative because it was just hinted at in season two and we get to see it in a much broader way and it was just wonderful meeting Radzinski that had been yeah. hinted at for so long and meeting Phil meeting these people felt very natural it felt like they felt not rushed or shoehorned in like say 
Paulo or Nikki. Right. Or, you know, again, every season kind of gives us a new set of characters and some don't go so well. And I think this was one of the more natural ways that they had done it. But actually a kind of an opposing view from Yan from France. Season five was just as I feared through the fourth season. New people with new problems and questions. So let's forget about season one and two. And the best part, just like we saw with the tail section, everyone died or disappeared. And we are not sure where they arrived in the story, what their purpose was and if they brought answers or not. The Dharma initiative was one of the most important aspects in season two but now i feel we didn't learn anything anything from them least favorite part of season five was faraday who now reminds me of mr echo a very strong and interesting character who was killed off without time to develop and of course the non-canon comic con video favorite moment without a doubt sawyer and juliet if they're over it's a stupid move as they were the most genuine thing this season wow well yan is like in a way i think also a fan of the dharma initiative section just didn't feel it was executed quite well perhaps agreeing with michelle that uh, we shouldn't be done with what's going on in the 70s i'm not sure if we didn't get any answers i think we got some answers and i think that uh, look into the dharma initiative was 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 one of the best parts of the season i felt like we found out just enough i Mm. felt like if we spent any more time in the 70s it might not have it might have given us more than we needed to know i felt like the 70s show or something right it would have been a gimmick and i felt like what we know about the dharma initiative now it's a little bit of a tease but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm not willing to say that they've written off season one or two just yet either. No, the series isn't over yet and just because we're not talking about those things now doesn't mean they're not going to come back around later. Yeah, but that uh, Comic-Con video certainly was a contentious part yeah, of season Yeah, well, five. you know, I'm not 100% convinced it was Faraday. Well, I mean, We didn't see him. So, I mean, if you were to ask me who I thought that was behind the camera, it would not be Faraday. Okay, okay, even though I think that was all sort of spelled out as a big mistake. I'm willing to give them those. Continuing the international theme, Eva in Estonia writes, favorite moments include Sawyer picking a flower to give to Juliet, uh, yes, and John Locke coming back to life, or so I thought. Least favorites include all the romance stuff in the finale. Thank yeah, you. And the third episode with the introduction of Jughead. Hmm, I couldn't have cared less. Hydrogen bomb, blah, blah, blah. As for unanswered questions, in season six there are a few things i expect one seeing the real john locke in flashbacks and somehow rehabilitating his purpose of existence i'm really not satisfied with how it turned out well with you there too seeing development in saeed i loved his character but i was very disappointed when he started working for ben again so he meets jacob his wife gets hit by a car and then he just becomes a hitman before accidentally returning to the island kind of meh three i want to know what the numbers mean and four how did the black rock get into the middle of the island and why so a lot of good questions there. Yeah, I would like to know about pretty much all of that, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, Saeed, I mean, there are a lot of characters, the way that they were left at season, end of season five, I think were frustrating for clearly a lot of us and a lot of our listeners. So I think maybe season six may be the chance to get them all back. Who's up next? Giorgio from Sweden writes, season five was okay. I agree that seasons one, two, and three were quite slow in the tempo of the overall season, but I think season four and five had too many elements and things happening in so few episodes from a story point of view i think it's boring now that the whole thing is turning supernatural i like the bit of supernatural with some scientific explanation thing but now you can justify everything with supernatural and good and evil i don't like that the characters turned out to be puppets well definitely a common theme i think from some of the feedback that we had already gotten that uh, once you pull the curtain back far enough and this is just a battle between gods as an example then really how important are the people that we've been investing yeah, that's all of our true. time in but uh, interesting that he points out 
I forgot. Yes, you know, season five in particular was a shorter season than the rest of the regular seasons. Yeah. Right? 16 episodes instead of 24. So in many ways, I think that's sort of where we got the velocity from. They weren't necessarily rushing, except for the fact that there was less time in the season to get to the mileposts that they have. Right. But some very good observations, I think. Um, but I don't necessarily say it's boring now that there are gods at play, but certainly I hope we stick to our characters and what they do under their influence. Right. I mean, I think the show is nothing with, without the people that we've gotten to know over the fa- past five seasons. Yeah. Mick writes, enjoyed the finale overall, but there were elements that I found hokey. Although I know many enjoyed the final scene between Sawyer and Juliet, I thought it was too much of a Titanic ripoff. Overall, the resolution to the Locke storyline was also a bit disappointing. As a Locke fan, I thought it was necessary for him to be special and inherit the keys to the island kingdom. What I really wanted, and I know I share the sentiment with a majority of Locke fans, was a little hope for Locke. Of all the characters, his life has been the worst, and if anybody deserved a a sliver of happiness or peace, it was John Locke. After the episode was over, I felt an overwhelming sensation of disappointment. It is my opinion that the story could have easily reached this point years ago. Yeah, I'm a Locke fan too, and I am disappointed, and it seems like a a really sad end for such an interesting guy. Yeah, but uh, maybe that's sort of what Lost is setting us up for, you know, kind of more. Not all happy endings for all of our characters. Uh, Who's up next? Dave W.R. writes, Favorite moment was Hurley and Miles discussing about time travel. These favorite moments were every single love triangle scene. (laughs) Does anyone care anymore? Top unanswered question going into season six is, are they really going to leave John Locke as the ultimate chump and leave him dead without any Charlie-like redemption story? Best question answered in season five was Jacob's reveal as an actual person, not one of our castaways from the past or future. So a familiar theme there on Locke, but I'm not sure if they necessarily revealed that Jacob was an actual person. Clearly, Jacob is something else besides oh, yeah. a person. Oh, but yeah. I, but you're right that you know Jacob isn't actually Charlie or isn't actually you know Jack's great 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 grandfather or something like that. Although I don't know, I guess that could be possible as well. Rich in Cleveland writes on the blog: Top five moments. Number five: Daniel's reaction to the death of Charlotte. Their romance built gradually, incredibly over the past two seasons. They shared a love of subtle devotion that never found the time to blossom. The stuff of tragedy. Very nice. Number four: When the smoke monster carried Montan beneath the temple. They didn't do the story of the French team justice, another checklist item to be hurried through, but we did get here the first presentation of the temple and the Cerebus vents that led to the smoke monster's lair. We see the cognizant Passover fog sever Montan's arm and drag him down to an uncertain fate. That was pretty good. Absolutely. Number three, Saeed shoots young Ben. Did our Saeed, a man of charm and vast personal resources, really just gun down an innocent, victimized 12-year-old boy? I can't think of another place you could see such a twist and still dare to call it genius. Number two, when Locke tells Jack that his father said hello. Again, you could see the anguish and shock immediately hit Jack in a far more devastating way than Sawyer's triumph via dirty dirty tricks ever could. And number one, Jacob and his enemy meet on the beach. There you go. Yeah, excellent list. No disagreement at all. Doc JKM writes, season five was, in a word, good perhaps great. No previous season engendered the excitement and delight for me, and overall, I am very pro season five. What made it so was less individual parts 
potions or lines than the incredible creativity at work. Our losties have had quite a time of it, and the writers have not hesitated to take the show way beyond anything previously attempted. It was a good season in relation to the other four, and a great season in the context of Lost versus the television wasteland. Here, here. But it cannot be ignored that the writers now appear influenced significantly by Stephen King's The Stand Mm -hmm. for better and possibly worse. The Stand is an epic novel that I seriously enjoyed and the parallels with Lost are too many to enumerate. The ending of The Stand has been mentioned here and I shall share the prayer that the similarities end now and go no further as the book's ending sucked. (laughs) Well, you read The Stand. What do you think? I read the unabridged version, which I don't know if it's different from the abridged version. I had no problem with the end of the the version that I I read. And if, if it ends like that, Fine by me. But it is, again, sort of the thing that might frustrate some of the other people who've commented that if this really is a bigger, grander battle and everyone's just pawns, that that might not necessarily be as satisfying. But, you know, I would agree that uh, the the Lost writers are doing very well, especially given everything else that's out there. And I think as we close out, uh, you all, everybody, we have one last long comment from Stephen in Bathurst, which I think sums things up quite a bit. Season 5 was outstanding, absolutely outstanding, but also incredibly flawed. The story has outgrown the episodic format required by television, so we were ending up with story threads starting and stopping and starting again a few episodes later. We're also getting melodrama in the lives and stories of some characters. And now, characters' motivations are serving the plot rather than the plot emerging from characters' motivations. This, I fear, will only get worse as they try to write a story that gets them to the conclusion that they have already written. But can we be critical of Carlton and Damon on this when so much of Lost is so wonderfully brilliant? They aren't trying to write a hospital soap or a by-the-numbers cop show, they are writing a complex drama on the nature of space and time, religion and science, good and evil. You only need to see the mess that is Heroes and even the end of Twin Peaks <laughs> to know that this stuff is hard to write. Yet here we are, five seasons in, with millions of fans nitpicking and reviewing all the details, and the worst we can find are trivialities. The lunchbox looks the lunchbox looks different, or Charlotte's age is wrong. If you cannot tell, I am totally in awe of what the creators of Lost have achieved with this show, and I am willing to forgive the melodrama and narrative problems because season five was always going to be a problem season because of the grand sweep of the story. I think we have to acknowledge that they did a fantastic job given the circumstances. Here, here. There you go. I mean... We're all fans of the show. We love the show. I don't think that means we can't complain about it. We can't be frustrated about it. We can't be confused and confounded about it. But we are in it till the end. Oh, yeah. That's why we're flying to San Diego. That's why we're going to be sitting at these microphones for at least another year to share this fantastic conversation with all of you. So don't ever be discouraged by the complaints or the other people who are upset. Um Clearly, we love the show because we're still watching it. Yeah. So we haven't given up, and we definitely are glad you're along with us. Well, that's it for you all, everybody. Although before we close, because it's been a while, I'd also like to take a moment to specially, specifically thank listeners who recently gave us great feedback on our podcast on iTunes. A big I'm a hollow to <laughs> Wes Hollis, Cohasset Mom, Cindy Summers, Bruce Leroy Jenkins, The Real Kid Flash, Hem Magic, Squirrel Rabbits, Estimated Eyes, Dubious Scruple, 
Peoples, Trip from Alabama, and B. Duval. All right. And I especially want to thank Namaste Boston, who writes, If our podcast were an Oldsmobile in 1968, it would be the Toronado. And I'm personally going to take that as a compliment. Me too. Absolutely. I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of the old funny that you were your grandfather's uh, lost podcast, <laughs> but uh, we're still classic. We're still hanging in there. We're all the other lost podcasters' parents. That's right. Get off our lawn. <laughs> but uh, in any case, we certainly are glad that you've chosen to ride along with us in this Oldsmobile in a podcast. And uh, I guess now we're going to roll into the forward cabin. This is where we normally hide production news, rumors, spoilers, and sightings. But since there are none right now, we're just going to talk about our plans for Comic-Con. So, hey there, Jen. Hey. What's going on? What's coming up next on the transmission? Going to fracking Comic-Con, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, Jen and I are flying from the island to San Diego to attend the San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to be leaving on Tuesday. That's just a few hours away. Yes. And we're going to be arriving Wednesday morning just in time for preview night. We do plan to put out some podcasts, but they're not going to be the full wonderfully edited carefully oh, crafted <laughs> audio that you normally expect this is more like the transmission on the road we don't really know what we're going to record or what we're going to share but it's going to be kind of by the seat of our pants absolutely i mean it won't be all lost content is what we're saying because we also hope to check out other stuff going on at comic-con of course we're there for lost that's the reason we're going we're going to be camped out an ungodly hour to get into that panel but there's some fantastic stuff at comic-con that we don't want to miss we missed the dr horrible screening last year because <laughs> it it was at midnight, block. but they're having it again this year, and I want to go for sure. Absolutely. Also, last year, we missed the Mythbusters panel. Yes. The, and now that we've actually met uh, one of the Mythbusters We cast, met Grant Imahara. So right here I, in Honolulu. I definitely want to see them now. Absolutely. And of course, there's some shows that are kind of sci-fi that folks are interested in. V, which our friend uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Mitchell, Mitchell has moved into. And of course, the show that ABC wants us to fall for after Lost called Flash forward yep. so we're probably going to check out those we're going to be checking out i mean there's but it's you know there's all kinds of stuff even miyazaki the the famous japanese animator is going to yes, be there yes yes and he, they're putting out a new movie um by him this year disney is so i think they're going to talk a little bit about that right so we're looking forward to more than lost we want to meet some new people talk to them see more of san diego so basically yes fair warning that uh, if a travelogue isn't your style then maybe this show might go a little off the rails for you because we're going to san diego for lost but we're also going for vacation. We'll also be blogging and posting photos on Flickr, maybe a video or two, and we'll definitely be all over Twitter because we're <laughs> always all over Twitter. Like last year, we'll try to collect it in our special Comic-Con blog. You can find that at comiccon.wordpress.com. Of course, we'll have links and highlights of the lost stuff on the transmission blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. That's right. Now, finally, if you are going to be at Comic-Con, if you are in San Diego, hey, we'd love to meet up, have a chat. We definitely look forward to connecting with lots of other lost podcasters and lost fans. You know, that was really, I think, the best part of any Comic-Con. That was wonderful. Events. Meeting all those people was the highlight of the whole thing. Absolutely. So if you want to get in touch, just send us an email give us a shout out on twitter you can send us a text message and you can email us at lost at hawaii.com on twitter i am kilinahe k-i-l-i-n-a-h-e and of course ryan is 
Hawaii, like the state, <laughs> you can leave us a voicemail on the brand new Lost Line number, 815-310-0808. That's right. That's a new, new Lost Line, which we changed again because you could pick a new number, which I couldn't resist. So the area code is 815, as in Flight 815, 310 08, which is the Hawaii area code. So that's one way to get in touch with us. Or if you promise not to tell anybody, my cell phone number is 808-372-3372. Oh, oh, come on. I mean, it was great. That's how Ed Hockley found us last yeah, year. Yeah, that's and true. A number of other fans. That was pretty great. I mean, of course, he then he realized we knew nothing about football and were kind of fuddy-duddies. But still, it was great to connect <laughs> with a great guy. So you can connect with us as well. Just remember, if you do try to get in touch with me, um, I barely use the phone part of my iPhone. So your best bet is to send a text message to that number then starting a couple of weeks after comic-con we will begin our season three rewatch we're going to do it really slowly and very <laughs> methodically because we can't keep up with those crazy kids who are flying <laughs> through season one but we do hope that you'll join us and you'll savor it with us so bust out those dvds and be ready to email comment or call in your thoughts so that's comic-con that's the season three rewatch so that's it for the forward cabin and that means that's it for this episode of the trans Remember that the transmission is powered by you. We love hearing from all of you and we crave your feedback. We require your feedback. <laughs> so please comment on the blog, email us, call us on the lost line, leave us a review on iTunes, tweet us even. Just don't be a stranger. Yeah, don't don't be an other. <laughs> Absolutely. So how do you do that? Well, you comment on our blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. You can email us at lost at hawaiiup.com. You can call the new, new lost line at 815-310-0808. Or you can find us on Twitter. My beautiful wife is Kilinahe, and I am Hawaii. So we're off to San Diego and Yay! then on to season three. Thanks, everybody, for making the transmission so rewarding. Stay lost. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.